Andrade slams her way to the UFC strawweight title. Nate Diaz gets a fight, and so does Tony Ferguson. The UFC is returning to Edmonton, and Kevin Lee and RDA hook up in Rochester, New York. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa. And to those who listen to the podcast, thank you. And I do ask that you recommend the show to others and review it on iTunes. The show is and always will be free, so please support us by giving us your reviews, positive and or negative, but probably positive because this is an awesome show, is it not? No Joe Valtellini. He is right now in, uh, I think, Germany calling Glory, which is today. So uh, check out Glory. It's on the Fight Network if you uh, are into that kind of thing, kickboxing. If you've never seen Glory, I highly recommend it. It's a a phenomenal, phenomenal product. And in news in the last week, Ontario, which is where the show is based, have changed the rules to MMA and kickboxing legislation, which will make way for more MMA and kickboxing events to come to this great province and uh, probably paves the way for a Glory event in the, the coming months. So... Hopefully, we get to see glory in uh, in Canada, specifically in Ontario, because uh, again, it's a it's a really really great product, and uh, I'm sure Joe will have more on that next week when we uh, when we sit down and discuss. Joe and I have been estranged for a little bit because uh, of conflicting schedules. So let's uh, get this show on the road, like it was last week in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, for UFC 237. What an event! You know, I'd never been to South America before. And getting to visit Brazil was a real eye-opener. It's definitely a different culture. You you know what? It's weird. When you live in an English-speaking country, you expect to be able to go places and people to at least have an understanding of English. Um, but it's not like that in Brazil. Everybody speaks Portuguese. They're very, very proud of where they're from. And, uh, again, I just haven't traveled much outside of North America. So for people to, to be in a country where it's it's hard for people to understand what I'm trying to say is is different for me. I did use Duolingo on the way over. It's a brilliant app. But I, I got to learn some phrases. Eu som um homem means I'm a man. I learned that. Learned that, you know, obrigado, ciao, oi. Basic phrases in, uh, in Portuguese. So I was able to somewhat communicate, but not very well. I did the best I could. A fantastic card, though, UFC 237. But uh, a lot of legends fell. A lot of legends fell. And it was difficult to watch because a lot of those legends were were very beloved in Brazil. So to be back there, I was right outside the curtains. So I got to see the fighters as they came out, including an Anderson Silva, who was visibly limping. And his fight future seems to be up in the air, at least up until recently when he went to TMZ and said that he's... You know, possibly wants a rematch with Cannoneer and is going to rehab and wants to fight again at age 44. You know, the spider's more of a cockroach. Can't kill this guy. It just sticks around. But I hate to refer to him that way because he's one of my favorite fighters of all time to watch. And uh, I, I also love interviewing him. He's, you know, now that he, his English is more fluent, he's just got so much enthusiasm and it really, really shines when you get a chance to speak with him. So it was good to talk to Anderson this week uh, on the few occasions, on the one occasion that I was able to talk to him. My colleague at ESPN, Phil Murphy, sent a picture of me interviewing BJ Penn and interviewing Anderson Silva that he had taken from afar. You know, I didn't ask him to do that, but he sent them to me. And when I saw them, I, my response to him was, I can't believe that's me. You know, 10 years ago, if you would have told me I would be backstage at a UFC event interviewing Anderson Silva and interviewing BJ Penn one-on-one, man, that would have been a dream. So, you know, I don't take any of this for granted. And getting to be in Brazil and experience the city and the culture 
was really, really quite remarkable. And I told the story on Twitter uh, as well as on the Luke Thomas show this week on Sirius XM Radio. My grandmother was born in Rio de Janeiro because her family was, you know, had fled Poland with fears of, uh, you know, the Nazi uprising in the 1930s and 40s. Um, and they saw the writing on the wall that it was a dangerous place for Jewish people to live. So they fled to Brazil, where my grandmother was inevitably born. And now tomorrow, I'll be in Rochester covering UFC in Rochester. And Rochester is where my grandfather was uh, decided to live after he had survived the Holocaust, survived Auschwitz and several other concentration camps, and was liberated by the Allies. They asked him where he wanted to live. He said New York, and they found him uh, residence in uh, in Rochester. So in back-to-back weeks, I get to kind of retrace one side of my family's history, which is really uh, you know, something special for me. So I don't take that for granted either. But uh, the big story coming out of UFC 237, Jessica Andrade with a big slam. Rose Nama Yunus lands on a part of her head that uh, puts her lights out. Didn't go out, but uh, certainly was in a bad place. A little ground and pound from Andrade seals the deal, wins the strawweight title. And uh, backstage after the event, Rose was uh, kind enough to do interviews. She didn't have to, but uh, came out, spoke to us. And the first thing I said to her before we started rolling was, you know, I'm glad you're okay. And that's not something you usually say to uh, a UFC athlete after an event. But in that situation, you know, when Rose landed on the back of her head, you're thinking the worst. You're thinking paralysis. You know, you're thinking, you know, she might not be able to walk again. Now, of course, that's in the moment. When you see her, you know, sit up and move her head around, you're, you know, there's a great sense of relief that that's not the case. But... uh it was very, uh, very interesting turn of events because you know Rose had that fight up until that point. She was dictating the pace. She was outstriking Andrade, which is tough to do because Andrade is such a good striker. And uh, Rose said she knew that um, that she was going to get slammed, or at least Andrade was going to attempt to slam at some point. And she said, had she been more focused in training and during her training camp, she probably would have tried something different rather than throw up an armbar or, or a Kimura attempt um, in the air. And probably would have defended the throw better. Uh, you know, honesty from Rose Namajunas is something that we often see. She's very, very honest about her career and her camps and all of that. And after the fight, she says, I don't know if I'm going to do this again. You know, at age 26, to say something like that is very interesting to hear at a championship level. You know, we saw Tom Dukenwa, one of the top prospects in MMA for years, retire at age 25 this week. Uh, you know, had other interests that were dominating his time. And to see that, to see Tom Dukenwa step away at a young age, it's not the most shocking thing because he was never at a championship level. Never, I don't even think he ended up in the rankings. But, uh, you know, had a lot of promise in his career through some nasty leg kicks, really, really good striking. But Rose Namajunas is at the top of the game, and she was winning a championship fight up until that slam and still is thinking about walking away from the game. So, you know, you, you see that kind of thing, and it's very interesting to watch. Uh, but UFC 237, I mean, one of the big stories to come out of that is Alexander Volkanovsky, clean sheet, 30-27 on all judges' scorecards against Jose Aldo, something that's never been done before. And when you look at uh, scorecards, I, you know, I went back and looked at every Jose Aldo scorecard from his Zufa time in the WEC and the UFC. And we saw that he had never really had that kind of success. Or, sorry, people had never really had that kind of success against him. I think only six rounds had gone against Jose Aldo and all of those scorecards combined, and he had a lot of decisions. 
six scorecards where every judge gave it to his opponent. And Volkanovsky just had three, not of those six. I mean, that was prior to Volkanovsky, but three rounds dictated the pace in Rio where the crowd was going crazy every time Aldo so much as sneezed. And Volkanovsky on all three cards, 30-27. Pretty unbelievable. So, um, Volkanovsky, no doubt, should be next in line for the featherweight title. Am I right? No, I'm wrong. UFC 242. Where's it 241? 241. In Edmonton. 240. That's the one. That's the ticket. UFC 240 in Edmonton. I'm getting all my numbers confused. The 240 is Edmonton. I guess 241 would be Anaheim, and 242 is Abu Dhabi. So 240 in Edmonton, Alberta. Rogers Place, one of the one of the best arenas I've been to. Phenomenal arena. You got Holloway versus Edgar in the main event. Frankie Edgar leapfrogs Volkanovski and gets the title shot. Eugene Behrman was on Submission Radio. Shout out to Submission Radio who had me on their show recently. The biggest MMA show in Australia. Eugene Behrman, of course, the uh, head coach of City Kickboxing, where Volkanovski does half of his camp, said that they were distraught over the decision for Edgar to get the title shot over Volkanovski, and rightfully so. And the way he put it is, you know, I'm not saying that Edgar doesn't deserve a title shot, but he definitely doesn't deserve one over Volkanovski. And that's a sentiment that I echo. I mean, Edgar's been around the featherweight division for a long time, and he's one of the best fighters in the lower weight class in UFC history. If you look at featherweight, lightweight, he's a stud. He's a future Hall of Famer. Let's, let's not take anything away from Frankie Edgar, but Volkanovski, again, just had a clean sheet over Aldo. But that leads me to the point that I'm always raising with people. When people are like, oh, this is outrageous that Volkanovski's not getting the title shot. How's Edgar getting the title shot? All he did is beat an, an unranked Cub Swanson after getting starched by Ortega. The UFC is not a sport. Ultimate Fighting Championship is not a sport. It's a promotion. MMA is a sport. I'm not taking anything away from these athletes or their endeavors or, no, no pun intended, or what they do in the cage or the competition or the level of competition. There's sporting involved in the UFC, but the UFC is at its core a promotional company. Now let me explain what that means and why that's important. They need main events. Tickets need to go on sale. And if you look at every division in the UFC, there were only a handful of possibilities for this Edmonton card. Featherweight, with Max Holloway, popular in Canada, had to be the front runner. Because flyweight's busy right now. You've got Cejudo fighting. Same with bantamweight, because Cejudo's fighting. Um, you know, you've got featherweight, which is the best option, like I mentioned. Lightweight is spoken for in Abu Dhabi. You've got welterweight. Usman's injured. He's not going to fight until September at the absolute earliest, probably October, November, more realistically. Middleweight, Adesanya, and Whitaker has to happen in Australia. It's definitely not going to happen in Canada. Uh, then you move up to light heavyweight. That's a 239. John Jones earlier that month, spoken for. Heavyweight, just announced. Anaheim, UFC 241. Stipe versus Cormier 2. Well, Cormier versus Stipe 2. You put the champion first. Women's division, Strawway just fought. Jessica Andrade, could she turn it around for the end of July? Maybe. But uh, then who's her opponent going to be? Is it going to be Watterson? That's probably the only option at this point, unless Rose takes a, a quick turnaround rematch. And from Rose's frame of mind, from speaking with her, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Then you move up to 
women's flyweight. Also, UFC 239 earlier that month. You got Shevchenko versus I. Then you go up another division. You got women's bantamweight spoken for. UFC 239 earlier that month. Sorry, Shevchenko versus I is at 238 June. 239, Nunes versus Holm spoken for. Featherweight, Nunes is on that card. Could you do an interim title? Maybe. And that might be on the card. You might see a uh, Chris Cyborg versus Blank. And that Blank, if it's Felicia Spencer, would make a whole lot of sense. Because Felicia Spencer's Canadian. So if Felicia Spencer ends up beating Megan Anderson tomorrow in Rochester, or even vice versa, that could be who's next in line for an interim title shot, possibly on that Edmonton card. But, of course, if you look a month later in California, sure would make sense to have Cyborg fight there. That's her backyard. So not a whole lot of options. The UFC need to have a fight signed so that when they say we've got a main event for Edmonton, they have to have it. Does that mean that Edgar should be the person that gets it? No, of course not. Of course not. Volkanovski is the clear number one contender. He's ranked number one. He just beat Jose Aldo in all three rounds. He should be next in line for the featherweight title. But if you're a promotional company, you've got to think from a promotional standpoint. And if you're going to do a card with Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker for the middleweight title in Australia, the logical thing to do next is, barring injury, you have Volkanovski fighting either Edgar or Holloway for that title. In Australia, October is what everybody's saying. Sydney, and if you say that to Volkanovski, listen, we want to save you for Australia. That probably makes a world of sense to him. And really, at the end of the day, is not Volkanovski's decision. There's no governing body that decides who gets the next title shot. This is a promotional company. I've said it a million times, and I'll keep saying it until the cows come home, because we need to remember that whoever gets the title shot is not always going to be the number one contender. They need to get these tickets on sale. They need to have fighters that are going to be able to come to Canada and, you know, when these tickets go on sale to promote this event. Frankie Edgar's been sitting around, and if they gave Frankie Edgar and his manager their word that he was next in line for a title shot, as it seems it has, you know, that has been the case because they're getting all mad at Ariel Hawani for saying that Volkanovski is the next contender. They shouldn't get mad. Why get mad? You're wasting your energy. And Ariel's wasting his energy by defending his thought that Volkanovski should be first in line. Nobody's trying to discredit Frankie Edgar. If you ask me, Frankie Edgar is one of the, again, one of the top athletes in featherweight and lightweight history. Frankie Edgar, no doubt, deserves a title shot. He, he, we've never seen Max against a guy who, like a Frankie Edgar who's going to mix up wrestling and, and striking in that sort of way. Volume striking, great wrestling, you know, have that kind of probably a speed advantage over Holloway. We've never seen it. It's a great matchup. And it's a credible matchup. But... The more credible matchup would be Volkanovski. That being said, when you're promoting events, you need to look at the destination for the event. You need to look at what's going to sell best. And Volkanovski versus Blank in Australia is undoubtedly the right move from a promotional standpoint. From a competitive standpoint and a meritocracy standpoint, absolutely not. No way. Again, not to discredit Frankie Edgar, because Frankie Edgar is more than warrants a title shot at this point in time. You know, he took that... Took that fight against Ortega on short notice, lost, lost his spot in line, and I guess they're repaying him in that manner. Now a win over Cubs Swanson should not get him there. He should not be next in line. Sorry. It's just the honest truth. But at the end of the day, you gotta look at what is you know, what is the best thing to do from a promotional standpoint. This is a company that's in business to make money, like all companies. In business to make money. Go figure. So don't waste your energy getting upset about Volkanovski not getting the shot. There's, there's a bigger plan. There's a master plan 
here in place. And I mean, Volkanovsky was just in a hospital in Chile with a foot, in, with like a some sort of foot infection. So would he be able to jump on a plane in whatever a week or two, two three weeks, whatever, to promote a pay per view going on sale? I doubt it. You're gonna make the guy travel thirty hours each way to do that when he could just do that in Australia in the future? Please. All right. So that's UFC. 240 in Edmonton. I think that's what we have so far. We also There's also a very interesting rumored fight that uh, Nolan King put out there, which is Brian Ortega versus Zabit Magomed Sharapov. No doubt a backup for if anything goes wrong with the main event, but wow, that is, that's a big one for both those guys. Everybody said people were going to duck Zabit, and they have been, but Ortega, <laughs> no, Ortega's not going to be ducking Zabit. And now Zabit is getting thrown into the deep end here. Let's see how good this guy really is. Because Ortega's a stud. Uh, let's look at some other big matchups added last week. When we were down in Brazil, they announced two major, major fights. You got Nate Diaz making his return against Anthony Pettis at welterweight. And that's on UFC 241 in Anaheim, California. That's, uh, that's an interesting one. To me, it's two guys that... Their stocks are high, but I'm not really sure how much more they have to give at a championship level. Very fun fight, though. Very, very fun fight. Two fighters of kind of Mexican descent. You know, Mexican-Americans. In Anaheim, where, you know, you you have a big uh, Latino community. That's a very, very smart fight to make from a promotional standpoint. And also a fight that makes sense from a meritocracy standpoint. You know, you don't want to give Diaz like an interim title shot. Like had been speculated, you know, a lot of people thought Diaz was going to fight Tyron Woodley for a ti- you know, for the welterweight title. That's not even an interim shot. That's just a title fight. There's really no merit to that. That's promotional material right there. Because I think Woodley probably would have run through Diaz. Would have been much much bigger than him. And we saw what happened with Rory McDonald fought Diaz. And Woodley's bigger than Rory McDonald. But uh, Diaz versus Pettis is a fight that makes a whole lot of sense because it's not two guys that are, like, you know, jockeying for position in the welterweight division. It's just a fun fight. And that's the type of fight that I think they need to have for Diaz. Now, of course, I think Diaz versus McGregor 3 is the the next fight to make for Conor, but who knows what's going on with Conor? You know, the Independent just um, reported today that Conor was questioned in in conjunction with an assault that took place at a bar. A man says that he got punched by McGregor. I don't know how valid the independent is. I'm not, you know, that uh, familiar with, with what goes on on that side of the pond. But, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen with McGregor, especially with his new pay-per-view structure. He may never fight again. I honestly think it's a possibility that McGregor never fights again. I mean, he said he was retired. If <laughs> We keep bringing up his name. But speaking of the lightweight division, a huge, huge one in the lightweight division announced for UFC 238 in Chicago. It's like two weeks away. Cowboy Cerrone who apparently was doing what was like deep-sea fishing or something like that. I don't know what it was. Something like cave cave diving. That's what it was, cave diving. Something Cowboy Cerrone-related. Gets a call. We want you to fight Tony Ferguson. That weight gets going to be dreadful for Cowboy. But uh, Cowboy versus Tony Ferguson. The return fight of Tony Ferguson in Chicago. Wow. Now, I made a case that this should be the main event, and people got really angry with me. But it should. That's the biggest fight on that card. No disrespect to, you know, the chance of Cejudo becoming a two-division champion if you want to, you know, count the flyweight division as a division at this point. There's one flyweight fight lined up right now. 
But uh, if you want to count that as a division, that's a big fight, of course, because Cejudo can become a two-division champion. And, of course, Marlon Moraes is a, you know more than – he's the number one guy right now at, at bantamweight. That's a great fight. Shevchenko versus I, it's a title fight, sure. Not exactly the most competitive fight, but Cowboy versus Ferguson is a, an unbelievably big-name fight. You know, some people say, oh, maybe it's just for the hardcores it's a big fight, not not for the general public. Are we still pandering? Are we still talking about that? What's what's the public going to buy? Oh, I'm, what's, what's, what's Joe Public going to buy? That's not a good headliner. You need the headline with a title fight. Get out of here. You, you put your best foot forward from a promotional standpoint. That's my opinion. And I think that more people know who Cowboy Cerrone and Ferguson are. It's not for a title. But, you know, these are two of the top guys in the, the deepest, most star-laden division in the sport. Now, of course, asking them to take a five-round fight on short notice, that I understand. If they don't want to fight five rounds, I get it. But at least give them the option. Say, hey, we want this as a five-round main event. What do you guys think? And if they say, well, Cerrone says, well, I fight three weeks ago. I want to have it as, as a three-round fight. Not, not what he's been saying in the public. He says he wants it as a five-round fight. Or Ferguson said, listen, I'm just getting my feet wet again. Uh, after I've been on the shelf, I want just three rounds. Sure, I, I completely understand that. But personally, I think that's the biggest fight on the card. So why not put your best foot forward with that one? But th- that being said, can I understand it? Sure. I just think that putting that fight on a card before you have Shevchenko versus I... Like, I don't want to see people leaving to go get popcorn when Shevchenko and I are fighting. It's no disrespect to them. But Cowboy versus Ferguson, is a, that's a massive fight. Maybe I'm alone on that one. You can send me a tweet if you disagree, like so many have. But uh, personally, I think that's the biggest fight on the card, and I think that if you took a poll on what the biggest fight on the card is, it's that one. And that's why I think you, you make that the headliner. Again, I, I completely understand if uh, if you're not going to from a, you know just a layoff perspective. Some other things that happened on the weekend that are very interesting. and uh, We had Patricio Pitbull finish Michael Chandler in the first round. Now, this causes a, a great deal of debate. Because you look at this and you think, in the hierarchy of featherweights all-time in any organization, where do you rank Patricio Pitbull? And to me, you've got to put him in the top five. Like, you look at Uriah Faber when he was in his heyday in the WEC. I would put Pitbull above him. Like, where would you put him? I think you put him below Holloway and Aldo in whatever order you want to put it. Now, you bring McGregor into that conversation. What McGregor did for the sport, for sure, is uh, is bigger than what Pitbull done for the sport. But in terms of the, the quality of competition, I think you've got to put Pitbull ahead of him. If you put Alvarez and Chandler on the same scale... And McGregor goes up and beats Alvarez. And he's ranked number three in the lightweight division right now, despite having not fought since the Khabib fight. Having not won a fight, really, since that Alvarez fight. He's number three in the world at lightweight. And you see that he beat Alvarez, knocked him out in the second round. And then you see Patricio Pitbull beat Chandler, who I think a lot of people would say is better than Alvarez at this point in the game. I think it was, what, inside of a minute? You got to put Pitbull in the, probably number the third best featherweight of all time. Uh, maybe I'm forgetting somebody, but what Pitbull's done and his resume is phenomenal. And the level of competition is high. I mean, you're talking about guys that would undoubtedly be really good UFC fighters. 
Now he lost to um, he lost to Ben Henderson, of course, who was a champion in the UFC, but it was a kind of a freak injury. So that you got you can't really put that against him. It was a pretty even fight to that point. Other loss, split decision loss to Pat Curran, who was one of the top guys at that time in 2013 at featherweight. Lost to Joe Warren, who was actually quite young back then. You were talking 2010, Joe Warren, and that's another split decision. Unanimous decision loss to Daniel Strauss. Now, that's probably his worst loss, despite Strauss, again, being, I think, a, a UFC caliber guy. And then there was that aforementioned leg injury to Ben, to ben Henderson. Wins outside of that are... I mean, you got some great wins here. You got a, a win over Wilson Hayes. You got two wins over Daniel Strauss. So uh, despite Strauss ha- having that one win against them, you got two wins against Strauss. Georgie Karakanian, who was, I think, is UFC caliber. Wilson Hayes, who was in the UFC, knocked out Wilson Hayes. Uh, you know, Hayes is more of a natural flyweight, but regardless. Uh, win over Diego Nunes, former UFC fighter, and that was when Nunes had just left the UFC and was, uh, you know, still a really high-quality opponent. Knocked him out in the first round. Avenged the loss to Pat Curran. Emmanuel Sanchez. Big win over Emmanuel Sanchez. Daniel Veichel. Or Veichel, rather. That was for the featherweight title. He He's a, a tough guy. Henry Corrales. OK Corrales. Subbed him in the second round. Like These are really good wins. Really, really, really high-quality wins for Patricio Pitbull. You have to put him in the mix. You have to say this guy is probably the third. And he's still only 31 years old, and that's his resume. I mean, that's an unbelievable resume for Patricio Pitbull. Let's give this guy his, his respect. He's five foot five, weigh, weighs in at 154, knocks out uh, Michael Chandler, who I think is one of the top five, you know, at least the top ten lightweight of all time. It's hard to say because of the, his level of competition. You never know with Bellator. I mean, he hasn't fought his biggest, you know, I guess if you look at the guys that he's beaten, and you go down the list, I think Alvarez probably is his biggest win. I'm going to take a peek quickly and see if there's anybody I'm forgetting. But yeah, I mean, biggest win has to be Eddie Alvarez. I don't think he has another win over anybody that's even been in the UFC, aside from Ben Henderson, the split decision win over him. Uh, and Rick Hahn, a very, very good fighter. But... um I guess he has a win over Marcin Held. Marcin Held is uh was in the UFC. But uh looking at that loss to uh to Pitbull. Who knows? Who knows where you put Chandler? That's a tough one because Chandler, I mean, we know how good Michael Chandler is. But uh you know, the level of competition is quite there with some of the, the top guys in the UFC, but that you can't take away that win for Patricio Pitbull. That's a, just a massive win. 1 minute and 1 second into the first round. Unreal. So kudos to him. I want to give this guy his respect because I think he's earned it. Uh, and then you look at Diego, uh, sorry, Douglas Lima. Douglas Lima with that big win over Michael Page. You know, people had always said, what's, what's Michael Page going to look like when he finally fights a top-level opponent? And we saw, we saw what he looked like. We saw what he looked like there. And that's not to take anything away from Michael Page because I think Michael Page is a, a very unique fighter, a very fun fighter. But looking at Michael Page's victories... You know, the biggest name is probably Paul Daly, and he had a lot of trouble with Paul Daly. In fact, the biggest name is definitely Paul Daly. I'd like to see what Michael Page does from here, because I don't think you do Michael Page's service by putting him in there against guys that are not his level. I don't think that they did anything. for. I think for Michael Page, him losing a fight to somebody like a Douglas Lima does more for him than him beating like a, 
David Rickles is fighting up a weight class or, you know, a Fernando Gonzalez or a Cyborg Santos. So, you know, I think that we know how good Michael Page is. But now he didn't have a level of competition that was like a Douglas Lima, and you throw him into the fire and we see what happens. I don't think they did him any services. I don't think they did. They did him a disservice, I think, by by waiting so long for him to fight the best of the best of the division. But, wow, what a finish. Can you imagine if that, that whole welterweight tournament plays out in Bellator and you end up having Rory versus Douglas Lima too after all that? It would certainly show who the two best in the division are. And Lima's now made the finals. He'll face the, face the winner of Neiman Gracie versus Rory McDonald, which I believe takes place in July at Madison Square Garden. But uh, that's where we stand now with that uh, that tournament. Uh, let's move forward now. What else do we have to discuss? We got UFC Rochester on the on the horizon for this weekend. Interesting card. One other thing I wanted to touch on, actually, from Bellator 221. And this goes back to my promotion versus sport argument. After Jake Hager beats TJ Jones, a guy who was 1-1, one one, an inactive fighter for the most part, who worked at a meat, I think it was like a meatpacking plant in Kansas. People loved, people loved this guy because he was like the blue-collar everyman. Great. But now I heard on Helwani's show, Jake Hager and Ariel discuss how TJ Jones has warned he, he's earned a second fight. He's earned a second fight in the UFC, in, the, in Bellator. Are you serious? Like, you can't call this a sport if you're going to give a guy who's one and two, a regional fighter, another big opportunity. I don't know. I mean, if you throw on a preliminary card in a local card, sure, whatever. We've seen worse. But if you're going to put this guy on a main card because he was popular, because he fought a pro wrestler who, uh, who was clearly more qualified than him due to his amateur wrestling background, got finished in the first round, the same way that Hager finished his first opponent, arm triangle choke. Like, we, we, want, we want to see this guy come back because it, it was fun. Uh, like, come on. I get, you, I get you have a promotion to run and I, you want to put popular guys in there. But we're a stone's throw away from just grabbing celebrities off of movie sets and putting them in fights. Like, if you, if you said Hugh Jackman, he, I mean, he's in great shape right now. And he wants to fight a 50-year-old guy who, who's a dentist from, you know, Wichita, Kansas. Let's do it. Let's put Hugh Jackman on TV. Like, I, I don't disagree that that's entertaining. And I actually think that a fight promotion that did that, if you had, like, celebrity fights, you'd probably do really well. Because I'm sure that there are a lot of, I mean, I know that, like, Chris Pratt trains. Like, if you want to put Chris Pratt against some guy who, you know, does BJJ in you know in a garage with some of his buddies and get him a win so that people can cheer for Chris Pratt. I, like, I'm, I'm all for it. I think that's very entertaining. That's great. But, I mean, is this what we're about right now? Is this what a Bellator or a UFC would be about? I mean, UFC did it with CM Punk, and pe- they, people killed him for it. Killed them. They're doing it with Greg Hardy right now. People are killing them for it. So we need to decide what we're in, the, what, what this is. Like, is this a competitive sport? Is it entertainment? Is it a bit of both? Because if we can all agree that this is, you know, that, that this is a competitive sport that also here and there has a little bit of fun and we don't take this thing too seriously, that's great. But it seems like people take this very seriously. People take the UFC and Bellator very, very seriously. All of these organizations. 
So if we're going to take this seriously, then we need to be serious here and not give TJ Jones another fight on a Bellator main card. That's just my that's my opinion on that. Now, of course, if Bellator wants to come out and say, "Listen, we're doing this for the fans, and we just think that this guy's a lot of fun," you want, we're going to put them in, him in there against the zero and zero guy from uh, you know Boise, Idaho. He's a heavyweight. This guy, you know, we we somebody told him about me about him. He trains with a guy who I know very well, and we're, we're, you know, he says he wants to fight TJ Jones. You know, why not? You want to come out and say that? That's fine. I, I'm okay with it. But we need to decide if we're going to be taking this seriously or not. UFC Rochester this weekend, Saturday. Blue Cross Arena. I'm going to be covering this one on Saturday. I'm going to drive down there. I'm actually going with my dad. My dad's going to join me on a uh, a car ride to Rochester, to Blue Cross Arena, to cover this event. He's not going to cover. You know, he he got a front row seat. He's excited. He's going to go. He's going to go on his own and sit in the front row and watch this fight. You got a single seat. You know, there were some nice single seats available. I said, you know, why don't you go to the event? Instead of hanging around Rochester waiting for me to finish my job, go to the event. So my dad's going to go. He got a ticket. We're going to go down and, you know, hang out a little bit, spend spend a little time together in Rochester before the event, and looking forward to this one. There's actually some really fun fights on this. It's a, it's a solid card because you're seeing a lot of up-and-comers on this particular card. Guys that have a lot of question marks. I'm interested to see what they can do. But uh, looking back, looking at some of these prospects, rather, that's Charles Jordan, big Canadian prospect, two-division champion, taking on Des Green. That's a really tough fight for him. You know, I was standing next to Charles Jordan when I interviewed him in Ottawa, and he is not a lightweight. He walks around at like 153. Now, he won the interim title in TKO, but look at Damian Lapalus, who he fought against. Go back and watch that fight, and look at how much bigger Lapalus is. Looks huge compared to Jordan. We're going to see a similar size discrepancy with a much more talented fighter in Des Green fighting in Des Green's backyard of Rochester, New York. That's a really big uphill battle for Charles Jordan, but he's really excited about this opportunity, and I'm excited to see him compete for the first time. We need we need some more Canadian prospects in the UFC. And you've also got Felicia Spencer, another Canadian, 6-0, and taking on Megan Anderson. That's going to be an interesting one because, as mentioned earlier in the show, that could have title implications and for a Canadian to fight for a title 2019-2020 that would be huge for this country in terms of uh, our athletes because after we saw what happened in UFC in Ottawa with all of these Canadians losing to non-Canadians that was a tough pill to swallow for fans of this sport in Canada who want to see their countrymen succeed very very tough pill to swallow so Felicia Spencer is kind of could be in a savior position here and Charles Jordan as well. Like, Charles Jordan, if he gets a win over Des Green and then moves down to featherweight, like, he's going to get some good fights. I wouldn't be surprised to see both either, both or either of these individuals on uh, the UFC 240 card in Edmonton. But uh, let's let's start from the bottom of this card because uh, you've got Julio, uh, Julio Arce taking on Julian Arosa. Now, Julio Arce is actually coming off a loss to Shaman Marais. Split decision loss. A very, very, very uh, tough fight for... Julio Arce. But he's taking on Arosa, who came back to the UFC after uh, winning on Contender Series and has lost two in a row. Now, Arce, I think, uh, you know, is clearly uh, the better fighter here, and the odds will indicate that. Arce is a uh, minus 800 favorite. Arosa might actually be worth a shot in this spot. Because at plus 550, like, Arosa's not a terrible fighter. Arosa's actually quite good. Underrated. 
So I think that line is a little bit off. And, you know, I do think that uh, Arce is the better fighter. But, uh, you know, Arosa is not, a, not a, a guy you can step over. That's for sure. Uh, Trevin Giles, 11-0. Makes his return after a long injury layoff. You know, his last fight in the UFC against Antonio Braganeta was December of 2017. So a year and a half off for uh, a guy who is considered a very, very big prospect taking on Zach Cummings. And this is going to take place in the middleweight division, you know, and I always picture Zach Cummings being so huge, but that's because he was fighting at welterweight, so he might actually be small compared to Trevor Giles, and uh, this is a good matchup for Giles, who's uh, a minus 160 favorite here, and I think that that's a, you know, uh, might be a little bit of a low number for Trevor Giles, who is considered one of the top prospects. Uh, Patrick Cummins versus Ed Herman, this is uh, an interesting one, because uh, Ed Herman, uh, (laughs) I don't know how this guy keeps getting fights, I think he had a kind of a recent win, so he hasn't lost like eight in a row. But in his last, actually, he has, he's actually two and four in his last six, so I'll take that back. Lost a split decision to Volante. So, yeah, you know what? Maybe Ed Herman, the short fuse, still has a little bit of fuse left. He's taking on Patrick Cummins, who uh, lost. I think his last fight was against Misha Serkinov, and he, uh, he lost that fight. He's, he's lost two in a row to Corey Anderson and Misha Serkinov, which, you know, definitely isn't... Um, Anything to scoff at. But wins over Jan Blahovic, who's a top guy in the division, and uh, Gian Volante prior to that. So not, not a whole lot at stake here, but uh, two veterans going toe-to-toe. Slight lean towards Cummins here. Uh, Mike Trezano, Ultimate Fighter winner at Featherweight, taking on Grant Dawson. Now, I'm trying to remember if Trezano's last fight was at Featherweight. His last fight was against Pena, and that was at Lightweight. So this is his Featherweight debut taking on a really tough opponent in Grant Dawson. Now, I've been writing Trezano off, and I shouldn't be, because Trezano's undefeated, and he keeps, he keeps overcoming the odds, really. He keeps beating guys that I was surprised he was able to beat en route to uh, winning that ultimate fighter. Had, uh, you know, that win over Pena, when Pena said, you know, I was the best guy from the show, proved that wrong. Split decision win over Joe Giannetti, who I thought was a really, really tough opponent on that undefeated season of the ultimate fighter. Now he takes on Grant Dawson, who uh, is coming off a really good showing against Julian Arosa. Uh, Michelle Pereira. This is a guy who made a lot of waves overseas in Road FC. Go watch his fight against Daisung Kim. He, he won with like this crazy... He did like basically a cage walk into like a backflip during a fight in an open weight fight against Daisung Kim. Now, this is a guy, Pereira, who's been fighting at all these weird catch weights. Now he's fighting against Danny Roberts at welterweight. So that's how small this guy was. And now he's uh, he's fighting kind of up, you know, sorry, down a weight, down some weight classes because he's fought as high as heavyweight in Japan. Now he's taking on Danny Roberts and uh, a pretty tough test for his first uh, fight in the UFC. But this is a really interesting guy who does some fun stuff in the cage. I'm, I'm looking forward to his debut. Uh, the aforementioned Charles Jordan against Des Green. That's uh, an interesting one, interesting debut. This was a, a curious one for me. Aspen Ladd versus Sajara Eubanks because Ladd is undefeated and actually has a win over Eubanks, but she's a really big favorite. And since Eubanks has gone to train with Mark Henry, Eubanks is a different fighter. So if you were to look at an underdog on this card, I think Eubanks is one to look at. Fighting up a division because she had a lot of trouble making 125. Now she's fighting at 135, a lot healthier. And I think we're going to see the best out of Sajara Eubanks. Now whether that's enough to beat somebody in Aspen Ladd is a really young, bright prospect is uh, another story. We'll see how that one plays out. Davi Ramos taking on Austin Hubbard on short notice. 
Ramos, the must, much better fighter here. And that uh, that shows in the odds. Minus 470 favorite. Now, I, now, you know, to be honest, I don't know a ton about Austin Hubbard. 10-2, and two, young guy, 27 years of age. But when you look at his wins, I mean, there's, there's not a single name I recognize here. And he has a loss to Eric Wisely, who's the only uh, UFC caliber opponent he's fought. So this is a big step up for him in his uh, UFC debut. Charles Oliveira, Nick Lentz. The trilogy fight that nobody asked for. One was a no contest, one was a win for Oliveira, and I expect the same here. I expect another win for Charles Oliveira against Nick Lentz. But Nick Lentz has looked good lately. I can't, uh, I can't take away from what Nick Lentz has done lately. He has uh, two straight wins, one over Scott Holtzman and one over Gray Maynard. I think Holtzman was the favorite over him. And, uh, you know, Gray Maynard, always a tough out. Lost to David Tamer, no, you know, and lost to Islam Makashev. Win over Will Brooks. Those are those are good wins and, and not bad losses. You know, those are guys that you would expect him to lose to. But uh, Charles Oliveira has looked so sick lately. Aside from that one loss to Paul Felter, he's 5-1 and one in his last six. That move to lightweight has been good for him. He's not having those tough weight cuts. And he's been finishing guys in fairly short order. And I expect him to do the same against Nick Lentz. Because Nick Lentz, you know, if he if this is a striking battle, I favor Oliveira. And if this gets into grappling, I favor Oliveira. So I'm not really sure how Nick Lentz can win this fight unless he can somehow stifle the submission attack of Oliveira, tire him out, bring it into deep waters, and, uh, and exhaust Oliveira, which we've seen fighters do before. But not really the fighters the caliber of a Lentz. Uh, Vicente Luque taking a short-notice opponent against Derek Krantz. Uh, this should be a fairly easy win for Vicente Luque. Uh, Felicia Spencer, Megan Anderson. This is going to be a really tough one. I want to see how Megan Anderson performs against uh, Felicia Spencer so we can see really who the number two legit featherweight fighter is in the world. Because I think that's what this is. If you look at legitimate featherweights, you've got Cyborg, and then you've got the winner of this fight at number two, in my opinion. You know, I know Nunez won at featherweight, but I think that she's a legitimate bantamweight. Uh, She thinks she's a legitimate bantamweight. She actually thinks she could make 125, which would be interesting. Making, you know, the potential to be a three-division champion which would be crazy. But I think she could do it. Um, but let's see how, what happens here, because I think the winner of this fight might fight Cyborg next for an interim title. And that would make a lot of sense. Uh, especially if it's Spencer and ends up being in Edmonton. But I don't want to write off Megan Anderson, who uh, I think is a really, really talented featherweight. Antonio Carlos Jr., Ian Heinisch, coming event. This is an interesting one, because uh, Heinisch is an underdog, and it seems a lot of people like Heinisch in this spot. I'm not one of those people. Um, I like Ian Heinish as a guy. I, you know, he's been on the show. I've spoken to him twice before. But uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. is a stud. You know, he's, he has a, about a year layoff since his fight over Tim Boach. But this guy is just a finisher and one of the best jiu-jitsu guys in the sport. So I think Ian Heinish is going to have his hands full. That said, Ian Heinish does what, uh, what makes it a tough night for Antonio Carlos Jr. He tires him out, can bring him into deep rounds, and that's where Jr. falters. So... We'll see what the shoe face can do in this fight against Ian Heinish. And then in the main event, Rafael Dos Anjos versus Kevin Lee. Now, this is going to be a tough one for uh, both these guys because it's a bad stylistic matchup really for both. Dos Anjos is a guy who can really push Lee, back him into a corner, you know, put, put it on him in terms of the striking in a five-round fight. I think that favors Dos Anjos. Uh, Lee is a really good wrestler, but when you look at the guys that have taken Dos Anjos down at will, they, these are these are really high-caliber wrestlers. You're talking about uh, Colby Covington. You're talking about a Kamaru Usman. You're talking about uh, Khabib. So I think that uh, this is just going to be too much for Kevin Lee. But we'll see. I mean, it's a pretty much an even-money fight. I think that Kevin Lee definitely has a good path to victory here if you, if you look at Kevin, Kevin Lee uh, and what he can do. 
But uh, Rafael Dos Anjos, I think, is uh, going to be a really tough out for Kevin Lee. I think if Kevin Lee is able to to utilize his wrestling and dictate the pace with his wrestling, I think it's going to be um, that's going to be his path to victory. But Dos Anjos is able to get up. He, he has, you know, people have a tough time holding him down, and then once he gets up, he's always dangerous. So I just think that Dos Anjos has more ways to win this fight, and I think it's a really really good fight. And uh, Kevin Lee, if he can win here. Will put himself into the top ten at welterweight, where I think he can get into the title mix a little bit easier than uh, he could have at lightweight, given his uh, recent losses. So that's that card, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll talk about it next week when we return for another edition of the TSN MMA Show. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, enjoy the fights. This is going to be a really good card, and then uh, we'll be back next week to preview what's uh, what's after this card. Let's take a look. See, I think it's uh, the Stockholm card would be next. Yeah, it'll be the card in Stockholm, Sweden. So we'll be back next week. There's actually no card next week. So Joe and I might just uh, do an episode where we have a little bit of a refresher and uh, and talk about the big stories that have gone on, talk a little bit about his experience in glory. Uh, so we'll do that next week. Thanks for tuning in to the TSN MMA Show.